Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch that you can use for your group. Usually I'd say you can use it starting tonight, but we're not quite to that point just yet. Give us another week or so. This season, we're building our campaign for the Fallout role-playing game, which is published by the fine folks at Modifius Entertainment. Since it's a rather new release, it should be available at your local game shop or bookstore, but if not, check out the Modifius website, M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. Now, before we start, I do need to once again apologize for the quality of the audio in today's show. As I mentioned last week, we're still getting our new studio space remodeled. It's not quite ready for us to be in yet, so I'm recording from an alternate location, and I know the acoustics aren't quite what we're used to. My goal is to be in the new space next week, hopefully, and then hopefully we'll see the end to these apologies being necessary. All right, getting back into what you came here for. Last week, we kicked off the new season by laying out some of the basics of the system so that we have a basic idea of how things work when we start laying out our campaign. This week, we need to get into character creation. One of the major things I need to point out about character creation is that this is one of the easiest systems I've ever seen for character creation. Just an example. When I created my first character for the system, just so I could test it out for myself and see how it works, I built an entire character in 15 minutes, granted without a backstory. It might take you a bit longer, but in my opinion, there's just no way it takes you longer than a half an hour unless you just happen to be that darn picky. For the record, I'm going to lay character creation out in the same order as Modiphius does in the Fallout book. So if you've got the book, open up to chapter 3, flip it to page 50, because that's where we start the build process. Now the first thing a player needs to do before creating a character is decide exactly what that origin is going to be. In Fallout, think of the origins as the class from other games. It's, it's not exactly a one-to-one -one exchange here, but it gives you the basic idea. So let's start with character types. They're called origins in Fallout, but I see them as character types with some basic background built into them. The Brotherhood Initiate is first. If you've played the Fallout video games, you're familiar with Brotherhood. There are some that see them as grade A jerkwads, while others see them as really cool to play. The Brotherhood of Steel was formed basically to recover and preserve pre-war technology for the needs of future generations. Now, they've been portrayed in the video games as being anti-ghoul, anti-mutant, sort of a supreme race kind of group, though I'm a bit hesitant to make that particular analogy. However, there's nothing specific to the role-playing game rules that would state what I just mentioned. I would guess, though, that a GM with familiarity to the video game would probably run them the way that they're familiar with them. There are certain requirements to be a member of the Brotherhood, but it ties into the backstory the player will create, so your player can be one if they want to, and if they're willing to put some thought into their backstory. Next up are ghouls. Now, if you're coming from the fantasy role-playing world, you might be thinking of ghouls as undead nasties. That's not necessarily the deal. Ghouls in Fallout are the product of overexposure to gamma radiation. In other words, ghouls are folks who didn't have the advantage of getting into a vault, which we'll discuss in a minute. They were transformed by the radiation into basically a living corpse. They don't age normally, their skin is peeling and falling away, and they look like the walking dead. Some are mindless killers because the exposure has basically rotted their brains. However, if this is going to be a player character, the ghoul is considered to be civilized. What that means is that they've got control over themselves and they can still make rational decisions. 
However, as you might expect, there tends to be some prejudice against them for all of the obvious reasons. So if your player wants to play a ghoul, they need to take those prejudices into account when creating their backstory. Super Mutants are up next. A Super Mutant is created through experimentation. Now, if you played the video games, you know that the background for a couple of the games is that Vault Tech, who provided the majority of the vaults for folks to live in as the bombs were dropping, actually conducted experiments on many of the folks in the vaults. And worse yet, they did it without the permission or the knowledge of the person being experimented on. In the role-playing game, it's also presented that the experiments might have taken place on the water in some areas that could still drink the water or due to being kidnapped and experimented on by another company. Regardless of how the mutation occurred, the mutation has caused the character to basically become a large, muscular, rage-filled killing machine. Basically a barbarian of sorts with serious anger management issues. Just saying. Next up is the chance to play a robot. Technically, it's called Mr. Handy. There's a backstory to the name and the robots themselves, but I'll save that for when you read the book. I mean, I need to leave you a reason to read the book, right? There are some advantages to playing a Mr. Handy, but there are also groups out there that don't like robots much, so there are going to be some prejudices involved. Now, Mr. Handy has the chance to have some pretty cool attachments, so that would kind of be the payoff for, you know, having all the downside issues. Survivor is another possible origin for your character. Survivors are those who are descended from those who basically managed to survive without being in a vault once the bombs dropped. They dug in, managed to scavenge what they needed, and got along with the process of living. Survivors come from pretty much everywhere in the setting and are probably one of the easiest characters to do a background on. And honestly, they may wind up being one of the more popular origins in your game. Another that might vie for the most popular is the Vault Dweller should be pretty obvious where a vault dweller came from, but what we need to note about them is while they're not mutated, they have been experimented on. The text specifically notes that their behaviors and knowledge of the outside world have been modified, so there's some psychological damage there. The book also notes that there's a way for a vault dweller to be a ghoul, thanks to some of the vaults not sealing correctly. Check the rules for the adjustments that you'll need to make. So those are your possible origins in the game. Now you always have the option to limit what origins are allowed. You could decide that your characters could only be Mr. Handy's survivors and vault dwellers. You could also decide you only want ghouls and super mutants. Or you could decide everybody has to be one origin. However, the way I'm building things, and therefore the way we're building things, is to give your players the option to play whatever origin they want. The only thing I was a bit hesitant about at the beginning is to allow a Brotherhood member because I'm not sure how that ties in with everything else. But when I talk about my Session Zero, I'll tell you how it worked out and I'll document what our solution was to that. So, I promised we'd build a couple of characters on this episode and that's what we're going to do right now. For the record, I'm going to have these character sheets posted up on the website, but it's not going to be this week. I'm going to get them to Gabe and see if I can get them up in the next week or so. So if you're a visual learner, which I am, keep checking the website. When those get posted, you can pull them off and you can see exactly what we did. Or grab a character sheet and follow along. The two origins we're going to use to build today are the Survivor and the Vault Dweller, because I'm sure you're going to have at least one of these in your group. Or more to the point, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have at least one of these in my group, so getting ahead of the curve is probably a smart move for me. Let's start with the Survivor. You can see this origin on page 56 of the gamebook, so again, if you follow along as we're doing this, great. <laughs> it's good for you to do that, actually. Now, looking at the origin, you'll note it doesn't have a specific trait listed for it that you pick up for taking it. 
All of the others do. Survivor is the exception. Instead, you can take two of the traits they've got listed or one trait and one perk. Since I don't like most of the traits they've got listed due to the penalties they bring in, we're going to go with the one and one plan. And the trait we're going to take is educated because the ability to have an additional tag skill is one I find useful. Yes, the penalty is a stiff one, but this is where you hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Next up, we figure out our special attributes. They're called special in Fallout as an acronym to help you remember them. They are strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, luck. See? Special. Now, in figuring out the attributes, they all start with five points in them. We get an additional five points to use to build them up. We could also drop any of the attributes by a point in order to gain another point to build with. What we have to remember is that no score can start above 10 or below 4. Since strength is mostly for melee attacks, which would mean either empty-handed or with weapons like bats and crowbars, I don't see the need to increase this because many of the enemies that we'll be fighting in this game are going to chew you up if you try to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, so we'll leave that at a 5. Perception is going to be important to us, especially since we're survivors. Perception dictates how well you notice things in the environment around you. It also impacts your initiative and your ability with energy weapons. So let's drop a point into this and raise the score to 6. Endurance is exactly what you'd think it is. Health points and the ability to shrug off whatever dangers out there bring to you. Again, this character is a survivor, so this needs to be a 6. Charisma is, again, exactly what you think it is. I don't see an advantage for this character in upping the score, since the advantage of a single point here doesn't seem to be the tipping point. So let's leave it at 5. Intelligence is going to be a helpful stat, regardless of the system you're using. After all, intelligence will be used in problem solving without resorting to violence. So let's up this to 6. Agility does a lot of things in Fallout, but the most important for our needs here is that it's used to make ranged attack with smaller guns. Therefore, we need this to be a bit higher, so it's a 6. Now, luck. Luck doesn't have a specific game focus. No skills are tied to it, so you don't use it for any tests, usually. However, luck can be used in place of another attribute at the GM's prerogative if the situation could be solved by pure luck over skill. Plus, luck gives you points you can spend to help yourself down the line. So for me, this is a very valuable attribute and therefore gets the final build point we have, taking it to 6. Next up are skills. There are 17 skills in Fallout, and while we'll be putting points in some of these, you can try any of them. Basically, it works like this. All skills start with zero points and build up from there. So if you need to use a skill and have zero points in it, you'd default to the attribute it's tied to. I could read them all out here, but instead I'll refer you to page 44 in the gamebook where they have them listed along with the relevant abilities and a brief description of what each of them does. Now before we start spending points, we have to pick our tag skills. A tag skill is considered to be something you've got a bit of training in and are considered to be the most important skills to your character. We'll also note which ones are the tag skills on the sheet by marking the box next to them. Now, normally you'd only get three tag skills at character creation. However, since we took the educated trait, we'll get an additional tag skill, bringing us to four. As our survivor, our character is going to have tag skills that help them to survive in the wasteland. So I see the tag skills being as barter, energy weapons, lockpick, and small guns. So that means for us, each of those four skills start with two points in them for free. Next up, we put points into the skills to round out our character's knowledge. The number of points we have to work with are 9 plus the intelligence score. Since our character has a 6 in intelligence, we've got 15 points to play with. However, 
there is something to keep in mind. At the initial build, no score can be raised above three. So it kind of goes without saying, the tag skills are going to each get a point, that's four points we've already spent, and each of them go up to three. Here's how we're going to spend the 11 we've got left. Two each in medicine, repair, sneak, and speech, and three points in survival. Yeah, that makes it equal to the tag skills and points. I'm fine with that. With attributes and skills out of the way, we need to pick a perk for our character. These are detailed starting on page 59 of the book. Now, normally a new character would only get the single perk I just mentioned. However, the other benefit of taking the educated trait is that we get an additional perk as we build. So, let's get to it. First thing you want to remember is that many of the perks have prerequisites that have to be met in order to take them, like attribute scores at certain levels or a mandatory level for the character to be at. Keep that in mind as you choose your perks. One other note I wanted to put in here is that you'll sometimes see a number higher than one next to the ranks portion of the perk entry. What that means is that the perk can be chosen multiple times. Each time it's taken, you get another rank and therefore more benefits to the perk, which are detailed in the description. So I went through the entire perk list and I came up with a list that I thought would be pretty good for our survivor character. And I'm even going to list them in alphabetical order for those following along in the book. Can do, cap collector, faster healing, Pharma Pharma, Quick Draw, and Scrounger. Looking over most of those perks, you're going to note that they allow for the finding of more stuff when you're scavenging for stuff. However, two of them, Quick Draw and Faster Healing, could be of a great benefit to the character as well, as it would allow for the quick drawing of a weapon or item without blowing a minor action, or for the character to automatically get an extra d20 when rolling to heal damage. So both would be very beneficial. I decided to split the difference and took faster healing and cap collector. For me, the benefit to helping with healing would be a big deal for a survivor, and the ability to alter the price of goods being traded by 10%, that, that's also a pretty significant deal. Now, you may choose differently, of course, and I don't fault you for doing that. Again, while I'm explaining how to make characters, the big thing we need to remember is that the character has to have your own choices and personality in it. If not, it's going to be really hard for you to play it. Next up, we need to figure out a few other stats for our character. First up is the carry weight. Now, if you've played Fallout, you know that once you get above the carry weight for the character, you move at a snail's pace. However, the carry weight seems to be right around a default of 200 pounds. We're obviously not going to do that here. We want to be a bit more specific. A character's carry weight in pounds is 150 plus their strength times 10. So with a strength of 5, that would be 150 plus 50, which is, well, all right, 200 pounds. Damage resistances are next, and I'll do this the easy way and note that for the moment, they're all zero. I say for the moment, because once we get our gear, it's entirely possible some of these are going to change, and I'll, I'll note it if it does. Our defense is 1, based on our agility score being below 8. Initiative, which I noted earlier isn't something rolled for, is the perception and agility scores added together. Fortunately for us, we upped those scores to 6 each, so our initiative is 12. Health points come from endurance and luck added together, and these are two more scores we raised to 6, so we have 12 of those as well. Finally, it's melee damage. We don't have any bonus damage because our strength isn't high enough. Now it's time for equipment. Now, unlike most other games, you don't actually buy your gear in the Fallout game. You choose an equipment pack based on your origin. These start on page 76, but for our purposes here, we're moving to page 79, since the Survivor Origin gets to choose from the Wastelander gear sets. There are three of them, Mercenary, Raider, and Settler. 
Now, if you want to limit which equipment packs are allowed in your game, you most certainly have that right. However, I'd be prepared to explain your reasoning to your group. I mean, if you're going to go away from rules as written, at least do your group the courtesy of explaining your reasoning for doing so. It's been my experience that most gamers will go along with it as long as there's a semi-logical explanation to it that isn't just the old, I'm the GM, that's why, excuse. And yes, I've used that one before. Bad GM. Bad. Of course, there's always going to be someone who wants to argue to the death with you, but so long as the rest of the group is on board, eh, don't sweat it. The mercenary equipment pack really stands out to me, so that's the one we're going to pick. I especially like it because there's some armor provided in it. We'll take the chest piece because, well, let's protect the vital organs, shall we? Now, we do have to roll 5d6 for our ammo, but we'll do all of our rolls a bit later on. We'll choose the machete as our melee weapon, and we'll do that because a machete is helpful in so many other ways. Our ranged weapon will be the hunting rifle, and the reasons why should be obvious. The equipment set doesn't come with a personal trinket, so we'll skip that part. We do have four tag skills, and each of those give us some extra gear, so let's check the chart on page 81. Barter gives us 2d20 more starting caps. Energy weapons gives us a fusion cell with 6 plus 3d6 shots. Lockpick gives us 4 plus 2d6 bobby pins. And small guns gives us 6 plus 3d6 additional rounds of ammo of a type we already have. So let's roll everything up that we need to roll so we can finish filling in our character sheet. On that first roll, we've already got 10 rounds, so we'll roll our five dice and add to it. I got a total of 11, so we'll start with 21 rounds of ammo. Also, I checked in the equipment section and noted that the hunting rifle takes 308 ammo, so that's what we've got. I rolled for our extra caps and got 13, so we've got a total of 28 caps to start with. Thanks to lousy rolls, we've got a total of nine shots in the fusion cell, but I maxed out my bobby pins, so we've got 16 of those. Finally, I rolled 14 on my last roll, so we get to add 20 more rounds of 308 ammo to our list. For those keeping score, that gives us a total of 41 rounds of ammo as we begin the game. Now, we've got one last thing we need to do here, and that's check out what we get to adjust for stats thanks to that leather armor chest piece we've got. The chart for that is on page 130, and we find that a leather chest piece gives a plus one resistance to physical damage, a two resistance to energy damage, and no resistance to radiation. The weight of the piece is five pounds. So, adjust the resistances on the character sheet. Other than a name, we're done here. I tend to be lousy with names, but since we need one, let's call him Cliff Vance. And we're done with our first character build. That didn't take very long, did it? The second one will be even faster, since we're not going to have to get into detail about what everything means as we go along. As I noted when we began, this second build is going to be a Vault Dweller. That origin is listed on page 57. We don't get to pick the trade on this one, it's assigned to us. Our character is a Vault Kid, and that comes with its own issues, as detailed on the page. Let's do the attributes. First thing we're going to do is take a point away from strength, since I think part of the experience but done on our friend here would have reduced their strength. Three points go into Charisma, with two in Perception and one in Luck. The three tag skills will be Barter, Speech, and Lockpick. We'll use our 14 points to first bring those three up to three. Energy weapons, explosives, and pilot all come in at three, and we'll put a point each in Small Guns and Sneak. It's perp time. This time we're going to go with Demolition Expert, which is explained on page 63. Trust me, I've got a background in my head that explains all of this. 
I'm not going to lay it out here because the more I build, the more I think this is going to be one of the bad guys in my game. A little inside baseball for you on that one. Carry weight is 190 pounds, defense is 1, initiative is 12, and health points are 11. Now, the Vault Dweller gets their own category to choose one of two equipment lists from. I'm going to go with the Vault Tech Resident, mostly because the background for this fool wouldn't allow them to be security. Trust me. If you look closely at this, and it's on page 78 if you're curious, we get a Pip-Boy. If you've played the video game, you've seen the Pip-Boy before. It's a very important part of the play experience. And I'll explain how it works here when we're done building. I rolled the 3d6 for our 10mm ammo and got 6, so we start with 12 rounds of ammo. You might also note we get a couple of stim packs to start, and that's a definite plus. No personal trinkets here, so we'll skip that again. Our tag skill items are 16 additional caps for barter, 11 bobby pins for lockpick, and a formal hat and formal clothing for speech. For the record, our vault jumpsuit provides no physical resistance but 1 to energy and 2 to radiation. It also only weighs a pound, so that's a plus. We need to name our character. I want to go for something a bit different, so we'll call her Jasmine with a Z, no last name. I'm sure one of my group members will point out something about the name, but who cares? I think she's pretty cool, so I'm keeping her. Oh, and for the record, I didn't drop the strength score because the character's a woman. I did it because, in my opinion, the vault she was in didn't really allow for a lot of muscle-building activities. Plus, as I said, I think some of the experiments might have been on the muscles, so she's not going to be quite as strong as others would be. We compensated for that with the increased charisma and perception. Okay, I promised a Pip-Boy explanation. In truth, it does a lot of what the Pip-Boy does in the video game. But rather than read the entire section to you, I'd suggest you check out the entry on page 183. And that, kids, is how you create characters for Fallout. Like I said, the character sheets will be available probably by next week on the website. So if you want to see how they look all filled out, check it out, badgmproductions.net. We've still got a little time left on today's show, but rather than get into the design of our campaign setting, I thought I'd take a minute to lay out a few more things you might want to have for your players to help them enhance the experience. If you've played the Fallout video game, you know there are a variety of different radio stations you can tune into, and I think you can simulate that to an extent in the role-playing setting. Now, you may not be able to come up with your own propaganda programming for a talk channel, but you can certainly put together a playlist of 1940s and 1950s music to use for your game. I'd gather somewhere between 20 and 30 tracks and run them on a loop during your game if you're looking to add a little something extra to the background for your players. Of course, you're going to want to play the music low enough so your players can talk to each other without yelling, so that's something you might want to play around with prior to your first session. In my case, I'm thinking about running it during session zero so that my players get a chance to get familiar with it before we tee it up for session one. Another thing you're going to want is some type of counter to use to keep track of everyone's action points. You can use anything you want. Coins, dice, poker chips, colored beads or stones. The options are limited only by your own imagination. Since I just got done using poker chips for my Deadlands game, I'm going to use white poker chips for action points. I've already got them, so why reinvent the wheel here? Besides, I'm shelling out for the next item on my list. See, the concept of using bottle caps for currency in Fallout is a big thing, so I want my players to have the full experience. The caps in question are Nuka-Cola, and there's a couple of ways you can do this. 
If you buy the Game Master's kit, there's a cardboard sheet of them you can punch out. However, there's only about a hundred on there, so you might find yourself running out pretty quick. You can also purchase actual bottle caps painted and logoed up from Nuka-Cola for a number of sources, not the least of which is the Modifius website. You'll get 50 of them from anywhere between $21 and $25 US, depending on the site you use. Again, you're going to run out of those pretty quick, and it'll add up if you keep buying them like that. I mean, if you've got the disposable income and you want to do that, hey, be my guest. If I had the disposable income, I probably would. However, I'm a GM on a budget, so I've got another method I'm going to use. I'm using a combination of plain red bottle caps, which you can get a ton of pretty cheap, and red stones that you'd use for like fake flower vases. You know what I'm talking about. That way, they'll have another use after I run this game. Again, you can get a ton of them for cheap, and as long as your players are getting few of the legit Nuka-Cola caps, which I did buy some, they'll be fine with the rest of it. So other than those things, the only other thing you're going to need to make the game experience memorable for your group is a good campaign and setting. We're going to get started on both of those next week. I did want to hit on one more note today, and that's a quick reminder about Session Zero, since you might decide to go ahead and do yours after listening to today's show. Session Zero is intended to be a character creation session only. During that time, it's a good time to meet with your players individually to discuss their character backgrounds and their motivations for doing what they're doing in the campaign. That being said, I frequently ask for my players to have a background at least outlined before Session Zero so we have something to talk about. It also gives me information I can use when building my campaign. If you get a fully fleshed out background for Session Zero, that's fantastic. Make notes of specific high and low points in the background that stand out to you, and those can be items that you can build in the campaign from time to time for some serious role-playing opportunities. If all your player has is an outline, Session Zero is a great opportunity for you to work with the player to flesh it out better, putting in specific details that will work with the setting you're using. Now, if by chance you've got a player who has no idea what their character's background is, it's not the end of the world. You're just going to have to spend more time with that player to help them figure out what their motivations are, why they're doing what they're doing, and what their ultimate goals are. Some of that will probably come out during the creation process, but the rest is going to need to be fleshed out either before you begin or pretty quickly in the first few sessions. And as a reminder, Session Zero is also your chance to explain to your group how your game is going to run. If you've got specific things you want to see from your players during the game, or more to the point, things you don't want to see in your game, this would be the time to discuss it. It's also a good opportunity for the group as a whole to discuss what they want out of the game. That way expectations can be managed and everyone is on the same page. If you followed all of Season 1 of the podcast, we did an almost entire episode on Session Zero, so check that one out in the archives for more details. Otherwise, that's going to bring today's show to a close. While I have a minute, I'd like to encourage you to listen to our other fine podcast, Role Playing History. It's the show where we take a topic in the tabletop role-playing world and break down the history of it as far as the internet will allow us to go. This week, we check out the old-school settings of Chainmail and Blackmore, as well as the module city-state of the Invincible Overlord. Role-playing history is available wherever you get your podcasts or from our website, badgmproductions.net. 
The Fallout role-playing game rules we use during this show are the copyrighted property of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are used here for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in checking out the entire Modifius roster of products, check out their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for the show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for your royalty-free, license-free music for your next project. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr, you'll find us at Bad GM Productions. Our email address, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, the website, badgmproductions.net. Next week, we get our campaign setting worked out. And if time permits, we'll start scratching out our first adventure. But that's next week, friends. Until then, I'm the bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.